0: Uh, please could you turn on Bibles, phones, tablets, whatever else it is, to Luke chapter 8. Church here is doing a series uh, on Luke's gospel. I was last here, I think, in October doing Luke chapter 4, so you've got a long way in three months. I think got another four chapters, so it could take some time to finish it off. Anyway. It's good to be here again, good to be with you, and when we think of all those who are at the east side, in their congregation as well, uh, there's good things happening in the church. That's very, very exciting. Luke chapter 8 and... Verse 18. It's not Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. I had really prepared the right passage. Steve was sitting there just looking, you know, a little bit concerned. Has he got the right chapter after all? Well, you've done five chapters then in four months. That's really good. Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must be, deny themselves, and take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him And he went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, I have a feeling that's a shorthand phrase for saying, but this certainly woke them up pretty starkly. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The uh, weekly sort of news sheet gives this passage the title the turning point and in many ways this event was seen by the gospel writers Matthew, Mark and Luke as a very very significant turning point in Jesus's ministry. It is as though the disciples have been on the journey probably for several months on a journey of discovery as to who Jesus is he had called them dramatically to follow him as disciples and they knew there was something significant about him but uh, and they had been on this journey of discovery listening to Jesus teaching watching him heal people see the dramatic impact that he had on people's lives with all the questions going with it who is this and Where is all of this going? (laughs) For that matter, where are we going? We're somehow caught up with him, but where are we headed? Where is he headed? Where are we headed? And, And who is he? And Jesus is taking them on a deliberate journey of discovery as well. This is not accidental. It's not as though they were slow. Uh, to understand who he was, they were trying to grapple with the questions that his supernatural activity raised. Clearly the mark of God was upon him. The clarity of his teaching clearly raised because they'd never heard any teachers like this before. The integrity of his character clearly raised because they hadn't seen a religious leader with this sort of honesty and truthfulness uh, before. There are all sorts of questions raised by what they were walking through and what they were living alongside Jesus. And finally comes this point, probably about a year into the ministry of Jesus, when he says to them, okay then, so what are people saying about me? (laughs) They'll talk to you in a way that They're not talking to me. What are people saying? You're putting your ears to the ground. You're hearing people's comments and questions. What are people saying? One of the difficulties about leadership is you don't hear everything. That's what Steve was saying this morning about this uh, SSA uh, question. sometimes as the leader you don't hear what people are thinking and the questions they're asking it is nice when you do (laughs) but it's not always the case and Jesus is facing the same so what are people saying and they say to him well this is what people are saying they're saying some say you're John the Baptist that's a bit mysterious because they'd all seen John the Baptist but nevertheless some say you're John the Baptist and and others say Elijah and others say He must be one of the prophets that's come back to life. So there's all sorts of questions going on about who Jesus is and what power it is that he's moving in. And so Jesus asked the direct question. So what do you say? What do you say? Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that one of the things that we... uh, need to do ourselves is to face the direct question of Jesus there are lots and lots of opinions out there in the world about Jesus he's a great teacher he's a great example you know he lived for the good of others he's a great servant and you will find a whole range of opinions out there which you probably agree with a good many of them but in laying them all out there is a question that you are evading and that's what Jesus is after here which is so what do you think and Peter is the one who acts in some way as spokesman for the rest of the disciples but you know how it is if you're in front of a class and you say you ask a question there's you know there's always one or two that are willing to speak and one or two who think they might know but don't want to be found out if they don't and keep quiet and all the rest of it. you get a whole range of things happening don't you in in the classroom sort of structure and and so peter being of that sort of Im, you know nature who's willing to throw himself in and be wrong says you are god's messiah It comes out even starker in Luke's gospel than it does in Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel. But I'm not going to go into that. It says, you are God's Messiah. Now, the Messiah, this word Messiah is both a title and a job, if I can put it that way. So, The Jews had expected a Messiah to come for centuries. Someone who would come under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the word Messiah means. The word Messiah means the anointed one. So his very name reveals his nature He's carrying an anointing of God, an anointing of the Holy Spirit, a supernatural anointing of power, and everyone sees it. So it's not surprising that the disciples come to that conclusion but the Messiah who was expected was somebody carrying the anointing of God to bring salvation to God's people without which the nation would never be sorted out, never be redeemed, never be restored to God's purpose. And it needed salvation to come from God himself through the Messiah that he would send, who was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So when when Peter says, "You are God's Messiah," it's important that this is the Messiah who is being sent from God. This was not any old Messiah who would come in to save a people. This was God's Messiah, God's delegate, with the anointing of God on him to save his people, to bring salvation to his uh, his people. You are the anointed salvation bringer, is what. Peter is confessing at this time. And that means that Peter has to do something about it. Now that that Peter's articulated it, he's spoken it out, he's put it on his lips, now he's got to do something with it. If, If Jesus is the Messiah, he's saying this. As we sing in the words of a song, which I find deeply, you alone can rescue, you alone can save. <laughs> we can't save ourselves, Peter can't save himself, 300 million Hindu gods won't save you, uh, Buddha won't save you, uh, Islam can't save you and its God can't save you, Jesus alone is the Messiah come from God, to bring us salvation and Peter saying and we're with you (laughs) we're with you because you're the Messiah there's no one else that's what we've seen we understand who you are Uh, and what we're saying is we need you to save me through your forgiveness for all past sins and by your daily presence and help in my weakness and stupidity day by day, I need the Messiah with me. That's essentially what Peter's saying when he's saying, you are God's Messiah. He's saying, that means you're the one that's going to bring me salvation. (laughs) And one of the reasons why Jesus presses this question with his disciples is he wants them to put it on his lips. Jesus, there's no one else. You're the one who was expected, who's come from God, who carries the anointing, and we need it. And we need it. And uh, I want to say how deeply moved I was by some of the worship songs that we sang this morning. Uh, you know, that Christ is enough. Uh, even the simple song that you know, comes from decades ago, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, it says. And we're putting, when we say those songs, when we sing those songs, we're putting something on our lips that says, Jesus is it. Jesus is enough. There is no one else. I've decided to follow him. I've burnt my bridges. I'm not going back. <laughs> I'm keeping moving with Jesus. And I felt all of that was was really very healthy for us. It's good for us to repeat that and say, we're not going anywhere else. We're not doing anything else. We're with Jesus because he's the Messiah. He's the salvation bringer. And we need to be saved by him. For the stuff from the past and all the stuff in the future, for daily help, I need to be saved. Amen? I'm sure you've all heard of the young girl who was part of the Salvation Army who was traveling on a train and realizes there's a bishop sitting uh, opposite her. And uh, as they're going on, she's really concerned because she's heard, as far as the Salvation Army, because not all bishops are saved. And the important thing for Salvationists is that you are saved. And so in the end, she could contain herself no longer. And she says to this bishop, uh, you know, Are you saved? And the bishop said, do you mean have I been saved, am I being saved, or will I be saved? And the point the bishop is making is salvation is just not a decision to get rid of the past trouble. It's a decision that we take to have this Messiah save us day by day by his presence with us. We need saving from our stupidity. Who's likely to make silly decisions tomorrow if Jesus isn't with you? That's right. You need saving tomorrow tomorrow. Uh, you need saving for the stuff, the stupid stuff you've done in the past, sinful stuff you've done in the past. You need saving tomorrow, and you need saving all the way in the future. You and I need a savior to walk with us. Amen? Okay. And Jesus is saying, you're God's Messiah, the one who's come to save us, and therefore we're coming to you for salvation, we're walking with you for salvation, etc. Now, having asked a direct question, Jesus wants to bring a careful qualification because because it's possible that people misunderstand this whole idea of what a messiah is because in the old testament it was prophesied by the prophets that this messiah would come from heaven would bring glorious salvation to the people of israel the people of god And Jesus said, I don't want you to talk about this to other people because I want you to understand what type of Messiah we're talking about. And one of the things he wants to say is, there's no easy salvation. You don't get salvation easily. You don't get saved easily. And it's not easy for God himself to save people because it's going to cost him his son. And so he starts to teach his, his disciples that... Actually, this Messiah is going to suffer and die. Now, for them, that's a strange notion for a Messiah. A Messiah is a conquering king coming from heaven to save his people. It's all sort of white horses and, uh, you know, sort of knights in shining armor type stuff. It's, that was what they imagined when they thought about a Messiah coming from heaven. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not like that salvation doesn't come that way and the messiah doesn't behave like that Uh, actually he says in verse 22 the son of man must suffer many things the son of man is himself the messiah must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life this was a strange thing For this Messiah to say. I mean strange to their ears. So much so that Matthew tells us that Peter says to Jesus when he says it. No, 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 no Jesus. (laughs) It's not like that. Messiahs don't die. And Jesus says to Peter. Peter you haven't a clue what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh, And uh, you know just get behind me and stop being a distraction to me. He's very direct with Peter at that point, but it was not surprising that Peter should say it. He's going to be a suffering and dying type of Messiah. He's going to be rejected by others and killed, but then rise to glorious life on the third day. Now, the point that Jesus wants to make to his disciples is this. He wants them to understand what sort of people it is that brings salvation to the earth. It's not swashbuckling heroes who want to be liked by everybody, you know, the Superman, Batman type figure or something coming in from uh, the sky. It's not those sort of people whose prayers for healing always work and who are really impressive by the anointing on them. Okay, One of the ways God keeps us humble is when some of those things don't work. (laughs) because we it then makes us understand our weakness and his strength and his power so if it happens it's not because of your prayer but because of his power and we need to keep that in our hearts all the time and as i've traveled around the world i've seen remarkable things happen (laughs) and i have to keep reminding myself it's because of his power because i've prayed the same things back here and they haven't happened And I prayed the same things in lots of other situations, and they haven't happened, which tells you it's got nothing to do with us, and it's got everything to do with him. When God chooses to heal, it's for his great glory and his great honor. And we'll keep on healing, praying for healing. We'll keep on praying for his intervention. But if it comes, it's because of his great love and grace uh, towards us. And his great power has nothing to do with us. That so is it's good for us to stay in that sort of humility. And and Jesus is setting the model before them of what sort of people bring salvation to the earth? It's people who are prepared to be rejected, to walk in shame, to live in self-denial for the sake of God's eventual glory. Now, what fascinated me, as I did a little bit of homework on this, uh, this uh, saying of Jesus about self-denial and so on, is that he says it. Six times. Each one of the gospel writers records it, and it's recorded actually six times in to- total. He talks to his disciples about the importance of self denial. Now, when you look at the teachings of Jesus, that's probably therefore emphasized more times than most of the teachings which we really love to teach from. Okay, it's about self denial. And we don't regularly hear sermons about self denial because it's not cheerful we hear sermons about living in victory and walking in the power of christ and living in love and and so on and so forth but we don't hear many talks about self-denial except perhaps when steve was talking about fasting last week or something i don't know exactly what he he said last week but it's not our uniform diet by any means and yet these are the people who will Bring salvation to the earth. I'd like to share with you a sort of deeply impressive time that Keith Elmit and I uh, enjoyed with uh, just before Christmas out in... Um, many of you know, because they're part of this church and were until 50 months or so ago, uh, when they went out... to to work there as part of a church planting team. So Keith and I happened to be in doing a conference together and I said to Keith what about us going over to say over to like their next door countries it's you know a thousand miles or something I don't know how far it is but why don't we nip to while we're in I mean that's that sort of feel it doesn't work quite like they like that let me tell you. Um, The lifestyle that have decided to live, I could probably stand for, a week. I mean, we're talking about long drop toilets. I don't know how many of you like squatting at a long drop toilet, but anyway, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about, anyway. Uh, Showering in the backyard, you know, with a bucket and jug, uh, type thing, this sort of this sort of thing. Uh, it's in the open elements, uh, you know. The, the backyard had a wall; it was about this height. I could clearly be seen as I'm doing my ablutions, you know. As this wall comes here. fortunately, the wall was not lower, but you know. But I could be cl- seen by anybody walking past this backyard of, the, of their of their house. They, uh, if, if you can think about. Living like you live at Transform for, you know, full time, this is like camping, it's like one long camping trip, you know, forever. So they cook out in the yard um, on gas-ringed sort of uh, burners. Uh, They eat all their meals on the floor, they sit on the floor with cushions, and um some of us can stand the weaker transform can't we but we'd really rather not live like that and so just to see the lifestyle that had chosen in order to get close to people whom god loves but who don't know him was deeply deeply moving And our living conditions were very basic that week. And people said, how how did you get on with the living conditions? I thought, well, I got on fine, really, because I was only there for a week. But choosing to live like that full-time would be a real challenge. Uh, Down in the mouth about it, not for one moment. They're talking to neighbors and friends. They're practicing their Arab Well, he's fluent in English, French, and Arabic already, Uh, working hard at her arabic but talking to as many people as possible to practice her arabic they the market in the town that they are living in is just down the road they're in and out of the market we took trips to the market and uh, and they talk to everybody i mean everybody they're just delighted to be amongst people whom god loves but who don't know him yet Uh, and so if there's a few costs of this and they, their internet never works. Uh, they're living on solar panel electricity. There's, there is some electricity that maybe comes on for an hour a day or something. But if it's in the middle of the night, it's not a lot of use to you, is it? Uh, so you do things in the light, and then you go to bed at, you know, young people going to bed at nine o'clock in the evening is really weird, isn't it? You know, when we're all dirty stopouts and you know keep talking and all the rest of it until you get to a certain age and maturity, and then you think that's a waste of time too. Anyway. Uh, All I'm saying, I I was just deeply, deeply impressed with with this choice that they have made to lay aside many things that we take for granted. And when, when Al says to us, just think about the things you couldn't do without. And I have to say, I go there and there's some things I find it very hard to live without. And they've chosen that as a way of life. And as many of you know, they're having a baby too, and they'll take the baby back there in the autumn um, you know, having had the baby here, um, you know, without batting an eyelid. And on the Sunday, we went out. We we went out to a rocky outcrop outside the town where they are living. Now, let me tell you about the place that they're living. This is one of the most strategic places to reach Islamic people groups. There are many around them. Probably the most strategic place to reach unreached people groups is in North India. But second to that would be the place that have got their vision set on. And uh, the town that they're in the moment is a preparation for the next phase where they will move into harder conditions, more challenging environment, and start the task proper that they're about to do. We went out on the Sunday afternoon to a rocky outcrop, I mean, and first of all, the idea was just, we'd like to give you a view of the town that we're in, let's go up here, look over the city, and it was just a sort of Sunday walk out in the afternoon, if I can tell. Anyway, we got up there and we sat on the outcrop, and, and we overlooked the city, uh, and we started talking. We started talking together about people groups that are around them, and... Uh, about people who's, you know, who are in their hearts. And we talked about the process that you know, they were hoping to go on if God the Holy Spirit leads them the way they're planning at the moment. And I have to say it was a big vision, and it was very, very powerful to be there. You know what it's like when you've seen somebody in their own setting you understand better don't you you pray for them better you you understand what's going on and it was such a privilege to be there and understand what's what's in their hearts and what's going on and then we said to one another we said there was a sort of pause after we talked about all the hopes and desires of their hearts we paused and we looked at one another and said shouldn't we declare something over this place <laughs> and and we started to lift up our voices and we stood on this rocky outcrop and Uh, And I have to say that was the first to pray. I'm sort of thinking, how how do you pray for this, and what do you pray for, and all the rest of it, and straight out there. And he says, you know, Lord, (laughs) Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the Savior of all nations, and that you came to die to pour out your Holy Spirit on all nations, and to save peoples who are wandering lost and far from you. And you love these people, and you have them on your heart. And he started... The praise started pouring out of him. And suddenly I realized why he was there. Because he'd seen something. Now this is the nature of revelation. Peter had had a revelation. And Jesus tells him so in Matthew chapter 16. Peter had had a revelation. Revelation. That Jesus was God's Messiah. And there's now no other way of living. The die is cast. The die is cast. Huh. He's the Savior of the world. And have got this thing so deeply in their hearts and spirits that he's the saviour of the lost and he's the saviour of the world that he, they can't do anything other than be where there are lost people who need saving because they've seen that Jesus is the saviour of the world. I'd like to tell you about a conversation I had with Angus one day. Um... Angus is Elizabeth's husband that's why I'm pointing at Elizabeth here on the on the front row but uh, just to give you a little bit of history Angus and Elizabeth came to OCST as students when we were meeting in the cinema in George Street in Oxford that's why I have no problem at all with new churches starting in a cinema in Oxford uh, if you've heard that's happening because I think well, praise god uh, yet more churches to declare the name of Christ, and we, we need that. But there was a bunch of students who came along from Hartford College at the time. We've had different phases where, you know, different sort of colleges have been prominent in sending their student. We had a Jesus uh, phase, and we had a Hartford phase, and we had a um, Teddy Hall phase when Andy O'Connell was a student, would you believe, all those years ago. Um, so so we've had various of these phases. And this bunch of students came along uh, from Hartford College. And in their trail was uh, Angus, who was not a Christian, who clearly wasn't a Christian. And he came week after week. And the reason we knew Angus was there, he, he wore a fez at the time. And uh, he, uh, so every week he came and he glowered at us from the back row, sort of trying to work out we know what all our sermons were about and all the rest of it and whether he believed this stuff about Jesus and of course he was having conversations with them in college all the time but but I remember him coming and glowering from the back row while sitting in his fez so he did sort of stand out a little bit Um, and and then um, uh, one morning one Sunday morning in the cinema he capitulated and came down to the front and received Jesus. Now, a few years later uh, Angus and Elizabeth were preparing to go to um, a largely unreached nation um, to take their place as workers there uh, and they did it for a number of years and um, full of gratitude for their faithful service but, but I had been asked to speak at a conference for their agency workers and it was at a castle in scotland somewhere and so they sent angus to pick me up from the airport for to speak at this conference so so i'm driving back from the airport with angus and we're catching up a little bit and and i say to angus angus when did you first get a call to go to another nation for him. Now those of you who, know who are Angus. Know he's quite a thoughtful person. And he's sort of. So there was a long silence. As I was waiting for the answer to this question. I thought. I wonder if he understood my. You know after a bit you think. Did he understand my question? What's going on here? But it's just. And then he said this to me. And it profoundly impacted me. He said Steve it was clear the day I got born again that this would change my life forever, which is why I didn't get born again that easily. It would change my life forever. And I could not live the same way after I put my faith in Christ as I did beforehand. And it was clear to me that I would have to tell people, if I believed it, that Jesus was the only one who could save. As I'm sitting there in his car, we're driving over the mountains, I think, I wish most people were saved like that. And weren't just looking for a little bit more of the blessing of God in their lives. But actually understood that this was about Jesus being the only one who can save we've seen it and being prepared to live like salvation livers gives like salvation bringers live in other words to take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow Jesus because we're determined to be part of the army of people who are bringing salvation to the earth. And somehow, my dear brothers and sisters, it needs to be a revelation in our hearts that Jesus is the only answer and he's the only savior and he's the only one who can change the heart of our nation, which desperately needs it. And I'm not saying it's better to go where you are to do the job. You can do it just as well here if you have the burning revelation in your own heart and mind that Jesus is the only saviour and you have made the clear decision that you will deny yourself popularity, respect, The desire for appreciation to be one of those who bring salvation to the earth. But those are the people who will bring salvation today into this nation. People who are prepared not to live comfortably, not to want everybody to like them. That's over if you're one of christ's people if you're one of the messiah's band the desire for popularity the desire for everybody to like you and it almost seems like today we pray you know that everybody will think well of us woe unto you when everyone thinks well of you jesus said we have to have dealt with that issue in our own hearts if we're going to live for Christ because it's the only thing that will cause us to live boldly and with passion and fearlessly and even embracing the shame of Jesus Christ in this world because we know that Jesus is the only one that can save this nation. Jesus is the only one that can save this city. That's why City Cry is on next Friday (laughs) because we believe Jesus is the only one who can save this city. Amen? Amen? Let me try and bring this down to earth, because that bit's taking me longer. But at the end of all of this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, he it's almost like God wants to give them a glimpse of things to come. That, you know, you, yes, have to take your serious, your serious decision to... Take up your cross and deny yourself and follow him. And that's a daily decision. That is a daily decision. <laughs> that's what Jesus said. It's a day. You have to have made that sin, but, but have we got a glimpse of glory to come? I felt very honored when Lorraine and I, a couple of weeks ago, we went to visit Lulu in Sobel House. Now, many of you know Lulu here. Some of you don't know Lulu in her sort of more vigorous and halcyon days, but... This lady from Borneo has been part of our church for twenty odd years, and who always danced or threw flower petals around or did something to, you know, offer worship to God. Is just one of the most wonderful ladies, but has been hit by a disease which will probably uh, lead to her death quite soon. And we went to see her, and she starts telling us, um, she <laughs> and Trevor. And Anne sort of followed us in the room, so they might have got the same experience, but she started telling us about dreams that she'd been having. Dreams of eternity. You know, and we said to her, Lulu, you are so privileged. You know where you're going. And God has given you glimpses of eternity, so that you're not afraid. And so that you're looking forward to it. What a privilege to pray with someone like that. No fear of death. You know, only glimpses of glory to come. And and that's what happens in this story about the transfiguration here. So Jesus takes them up a mountain. And as he starts praying, his own countenance, his own appearance is transformed. I have enjoyed that with some people you know you're praying with one or two precious people who know god in a way that you don't and it's almost like you are lifted up and you know as they pray out their heart to god you yourself in your own nature transform i remember as a young pastor going to visit a former pastor's wife a widow, uh, and, and I would say to her Miss, at the end of a conversation, just asking her, Mrs. P., should we pray together? she oh, yes, please. She was Welsh. Say, oh, yes, please. Um, but then she would start. And she would keep going and keep going and keep going. She was too young to have been in the Welsh Revival, but it was a Welsh Revival type of prayer. It was you know, one of those that lifted you up and transported you into the presence of God. And that's what happened as Jesus starts praying. He is changed. His countenance is changed. And then the disciples in their sleep in a sea that there's not one figure, but there's three figures there standing before them. And they understand that one is Moses... Moses stands for the salvation and the law that God brings, that gave the Jews their unique character and culture, because God rescued them as a bunch of slaves from Egypt and 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 gave them his word and gave them his law and taught them how to live. And Moses was the founder and author of all that. Moses is standing there with Jesus. Here's this is the gallery of glory if i can put it that way and moses belongs there as the founder father in some ways of the nation of israel although there were others the patriarchs before him and and elijah stands there as the one who spoke the prophetic word into the into the nation uh, of israel and who you know Took issue with prophets of Baal and alone stood against false religion, and God stood for him. And you've got these these glorious saints in a gallery, you know, of saints, and and there's and there's Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and this is a way of the disciples seeing who Jesus is. He's part of this great gallery, and here's an interesting thing, and it says, and Moses and Elijah talked with Jesus about his departure. Now, I wish I could explain this to you, (laughs) but the word for departure is the word exodus. Jesus is about to leave the world to go on an Exodus from Jerusalem and from this world, which will bring the salvation of nations. Because the Exodus speaks of God's power being released to save his people. And so Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about his Exodus. Isn't that glorious? (laughs) Hey Jesus, I don't know whether this happened. Jesus, you're going the right way. You're gonna bring salvation to all the nations. Keep going, keep it up. And we're seeing this, this gallery of glory, people. And and of course the disciples don't know what to do. Shall we build three booths? Whenever you have a celebration in Israel, you have to build a tent or a booth. It's like our summer events uh, and salt and life, We have to go and put all our tents up, you know, and that's what they used to do in uh, in Old Testament times. They'd have, and in New Testament times for that matter, they'd have these great big festivals and they put up their tents and their booths. Let's build one for Jesus and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And <laughs> Jesus says, no, 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 no. Again, you don't really know what you're talking about. You can't capture this moment and keep it like that forever. There for are some Christians who want to, capture times of encounter that they've had. You can't do that. You just have to live in the light of the revelation that you have seen. That Jesus is the salvation bringer. He's the glorious God. Well some wonderful vision in Ezekiel chapter 47 of a river that flows from The temple, the throne of God. And Ezekiel the prophet is taken for a walk along this river by a guide. They've been walking along this river for two kilometers. And suddenly the guide turns to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, do you see this? That is one of the oddest questions They've been walking along the river for two kilometers, for goodness sake. Why does Ezekiel's guide say, do you see this? Listen, it is possible to see things, but not to understand them. To see things and not to grasp them. To see things and for it not to make any difference. If, If you're saying to Jesus this morning, you are God's Messiah, and there is no other You can't live a sort of casual, careless, complacent life. You're going to have to talk about Jesus. You're going to have to share Jesus with others because because there's no other way for them to be saved. And you've had a revelation of Jesus. What we can't do this morning is preach a nice sermon. Oh, isn't that interesting? No, no, when you've understood who God's Messiah is, And that it's Jesus and there is no other. The die is cast. You're spoiled for life. It might be nations. It might be this nation. But you can't be ordinary, unmarked by this. You're one of those band of salvation givers. Salvation bringers. Who are determined To embrace the shame day by day of being one of Christ's people in this earth. You see it as an honor to carry the name of Jesus and embrace the shame in order to see salvation flow out of the earth. Now what we're going to do to finish this morning is this. I'm going to play you a short video which quite a few of you will have seen before. I have to say, it's one of my favourites. If there were one or two who haven't seen it before, then we just want you to have the privilege of seeing this, so this is for you. But it's, it's a, a prayer of a man called Dr Lockridge, a Deep South preacher. I see some people smiling already. You know what's coming, but this is still good. Now, if ever a man had a vision of Jesus and who Jesus was it is this man as I understand it it says that this is a patch of a sermon I don't think it is the story I heard is that he was at a conference and he was asked to open the conference in prayer Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and he stands up and spontaneously spontaneously prays this prayer how can he do that when you hear what I'm saying And when you hear it, you will understand how challenging that is because he has a revelation of Jesus. You think, wow. And we're just going to listen to this prayer. And the words will come up because it's a bit hard to understand if you don't have the words. The words will come up. And then the band are going to lead us in one or two songs of worship. Because for me, it's about seeing who Jesus is and saying, I love you so much that I will live differently. He wants us to have a revelation this morning of who he is, God's Messiah, come from heaven. So let's listen.
1: He's strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the i hey. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You You can't get him off of your head. You can't admit him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees... But they found out they couldn't stop him. Silence couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the brave couldn't hold him.